podcasts. <laughs> That's what we should have named the podcast. <laughs> oh my god, we fucked up. I'm so disappointed right now. Our creativity was at its lowest. <laughs> well, it's, we came up with the name at like 3 a.m., so. <laughs> well, we also record at like, oh, it's only 11. <laughs> yeah, this is early. I know. The night is young. Yeah, and I feel like the night is not young. I feel like I've got two hours before I'm I go very to tired. bed. Yes, it's been <laughs> how are a you? Long week. Tell me about your week. Um, it's been good. You know, I'm just for some reason I'm just extremely tired lately, and I can't sleep. So I don't know. A lot of my coworkers are thinking maybe it's connected to the COVID vaccine because I was just like, you know, this kind of happened around the time that I got the vaccine. But also, I just switched to nights. There's just too many factors yeah. here for me to pinpoint it on mm-hmm. one thing. But I just know that I'm tired and I'm tired all the time. So we have taken some efforts to combat that, such as vitamin D and v- magnesium, which apparently you're supposed to take or something for your health benefits hey. if you're missing things in your body. Do you think that, like, cavemen had to take? No, because they went outside to hunt for their food. So they just naturally got all of the, like, the perfect balance of everything. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because they got the balance of, like, the meat that they needed. They had shelter. Well, I mean, they probably weren't the healthiest things in the world because they didn't have medicine or, like, any antibiotics or anything if they got cut. But, I mean, like, they had to be outside in order to survive. Right. And they only had mm. caves for shelter. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, they survived long hole. enough for us to be alive, so <laughs> props to them. My uh, DNA test says that I'm, like, in the 93rd percentile with caveman DNA, meaning I have more than 93% of people who take the DNA test. That's so, so funny. That's cool. Shows in the forehead. No, it does it? not. You are so drama. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't. Speaking of drama, are you ready for a good story? Yeah, but tell me about your week first. You always average. Oh. Yeah, nothing special. Here, I'm going into depth about my sleep deprecation. Okay, well. (laughs) Whatever. So yes, you are ready for drama? I'm ready. I love this story and I'm excited to hear it from your research. Sick. Okay. So we, this week... Kind of changed courses last minute, but super last minute, and I was frantic. <laughs> so you'll 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 hear our planned Origi- one, our original planned one in like two weeks because yeah. we like to do every other week with right. the non true crime, I guess, because I guess right. you guys like that or something. Right. Um. But this week, uh, was kind of a mystery, so I decided to do the mysterious death of Kendrick Johnson. Yes. I personally go back and forth about how I feel about this. Um, yeah. And as of right this moment, I don't feel like it was that mysterious. Okay. That's but interesting. But you'll probably, as I'm telling the story, you'll pro- I'll probably change my mind, so. I'm very excited okay. to hear what you think then. Good. Because we just talked about it and you said you were very set on one thing. That was the one thing. Oh. I've been set on that for a couple of days. JK, LOL. <laughs> Kendrick was a 17-year-old student who attended Lowndes High School in Valdosta, or Valdosta, Georgia. Um, he played basketball, he played football, he ran track, and he was, like, really good at all of those. And But he hoped to one day play professional football, which seems like a big hope, but there was a very high percentage of the students from that town that ended up playing 
professional football, which How is weird. weird. I wonder if it's like a coach thing. Maybe they just had a really good coach that kicked I out those guess. players. I don't know. Something in the water, maybe? Oh, yeah. Football oh, no. water. Yeah, football water. Um, unfortunately, on January 10th in 2013, he didn't make it home after school. He was supposed to go to a basketball game that was going on after school um, that evening, but he did not. And his mom, Jackie, was really worried about it because he always at least called to check in and be like, hey, I'm running late, or hey, I'm going to go do this, yada, yada, yada. Uh, she went out and she looked around town kind of like between the school and the house, like the routes he would take, places he would hang out. Can't find him. Ends up calling the police to file a missing persons report around midnight. But the oh police gosh. pretty much chalked it up to him staying out past curfew. So he's been missing since school ended probably around three, mm-hmm. I would think, mm-hmm. to midnight. And mm-hmm. she, I'm sure she probably had other things she was worried about because, I, again, we've never been in that position. But well, and she's got a high shit. schooler. Yeah, that's the that's thing. It could be anywhere. He could be out with friends. This could be the first time he gets a wild hair and is like, "That's nah, true. I'm that's not gonna true. go that's tonight." True. Ugh, um, that's so crazy. So, like I said, they chalked it up to him just staying out past curfew. He'll probably make it home. Give us a call in the morning if he's still not home. Okay. So the next day, she wakes up. She probably didn't sleep, honestly, but she. Gets up and she goes to the school and she goes in to speak to the principal and she finds out that the last class that Kendrick actually went to was like midway through the day and then oh, they can't no. see him. Uh, oh, he, no. he missed all the rest of his classes. As she was speaking to the principal, another administrator walked in the office, not realizing who was in there. Oh no. And said a dead student had been found in the gym. So that's how Jackie found out. First of all, the level of professionalism to say that in front of anybody who oh is not God, faculty I know. is bizarre. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Anyways. Any poor thing. Oh, that makes me so sad. So, the school had two gyms, and my high school was the same way. So, they had an old one, like an auxiliary gym that was like the original gym built onto the school, and then they had built on a new one. So... Mm-hmm. Um, they held, like, PE classes in both and just used them both for different things. Um, and in the old gym, there was kind of, like, a short, it was a smaller gym, so there was a smaller set of, like, bleachers. Yeah. Kind of like the metal ones you would see outside at, like, a kid's softball game. Love it. Or soccer game, whatever. The best bleachers. Right. Compared to, like, the legit pull-out bleachers like that- wooden ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this one had the shorter set- and then it had a few wrestling mats that were, like, rolled up and stored in the corner. And usually they were stacked, like, horizontally along the wall. Like in a pyramid or something? Yeah, but over Christmas break, they had just, they'd been back from Christmas break for, like, two days. Mm-hmm. Over the break, they had been moved to where they were sitting vertically, like, in the corner next to the bleachers. Yeah. So. That seems difficult to do. Um, just for your reference, they were about six feet tall and then all rolled up. They're about three feet across each. So that. Oh my goodness. So pretty big. Those are big. I'm sure they weigh a lot too. Yeah. Because those things are thick. Over a hundred pounds each. Fuck that. Yeah. So, um, a student noticed that a pair of socks was like sticking out of the top of one of the mats. He thought it was, like, a joke. Like, somebody was, like, playing a prank, putting some shoes and socks up yeah, there. Like a Christmas Halloween prank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind I would have played. Not now. <laughs> Not after hearing this. Um, 
So the student goes over there and like kind of looks in there and realizes socks are actually attached to feet that are attached to a, a body. body. Oh, so no. he's like, uh, gym teacher, there's someone in here. Gym teacher runs over, takes the mat, pulls it down, gets it horizontal, starts kind of pulling on the feet, but recognizes the smell of a decomposing body and he stops Steps back. Somebody's already been calling 911, so they're on the way. Oh, man. And they just leave the scene there where it's at. Now, you've seen these photos, right? Yeah, I've seen them in great length, and it never ceases to amaze me about how he, his appearance, it's just super messed up. So I'm still going to go through these with you? That's okay, please do, because I figured I, you, know, you would. I have this morbid fascination with right. looking at dead bodies, so. Right. Same. So, you can see... Those are the socks, his legs. There's also a pair of shoes that's just, like, tucked in there. Yeah. That's a weird thing that's not really explainable. Police and EMS responded, and they basically, almost immediately, determined that uh, Kendrick got stuck in the vertical mat after trying to reach his gym shoes that were at the bottom of the mat. And they believed that because he was kind of, like, one arm up um, and one arm down kind of to his side, so... Even though the opening in that mat was, like, something like 14 inches or something, and his shoulder width was something like 19, when like you go like that, you're able to kind himself. of, yeah, kind of shortens that, that width a little bit and lets you yeah. shimmy up in there. It's like when you're trying to take off a shirt that's a little bit too tight over your head, and you have to, like, work yep. it a different way. Yep. Sports bra, same thing. Oh, my God. Yep. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> um... A lot of students, including... So, the backstory on why he would be reaching for shoes is um, the school, which this makes no sense to me, made students pay for their lockers. What? Yeah. The lockers that were just there and built probably decades ago? Yep. Okay. I don't know if this is specific to, like, the gym lockers or if this is, uh, like, lockers in general in the school. Um, but, yeah, they had to pay for them, and a lot of students didn't like doing that. So Don't blame for, Yeah, for instance, KJ and one of his friends kept, they shared this pair of shoes that was in there, and they would, st- like, stick their gym shorts and, and the shoes and all that in these mats, and that's where they would kind of hide them, and so they think that he was going in there to get those shoes, realized that the mats weren't horizontal anymore, they were vertical, so he's like, shit, trying to reach in there instead of just pulling the mat horizontal. That's what I'm saying. Was just like, no, nah, I can get them. I, I, and could not get them. Okay. I'm going to talk about this later. I'm going to put, <laughs> put a pin in my mark okay. there because I am going to, I was about to go on a rant. Okay. Weird thing. Um, so he was upside down, right? And so what happens when you die and are dead for a while, um, fluids eventually come out of different places. And because he was, um, upside down, they all, gravity pretty much pulled them all. To, like, his nose, his face, his ears, things like that. He purged out of that. And so, um, that's totally normal. I know. And the weird part is that there was blood and, like, this purge fluid on the ground under the shoe that he was reaching for, but there was none on top of the shoe. I don't know how that could have happened. I don't know if that was a freak thing in physics. Yeah, I was I don't... like, would it be possible for it to drip, like, just barely right next to the shoe enough to pull over, but not, like, I feel like it would have anything. to be perfect. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know if they either. ever recreated that to try and figure that out. I feel like they didn't, and that might be worth, because that's, like, a big, um... 
question. Yeah, it was, well, it was a big question because it led a lot of people to kind of question the sheriff department's conclusions mm-hmm. of it being a natural death. They're like, well, how could, like, how could that have happened if he um, was on top of the shoe, basically, and if he had died in that position? So that led people to think that he had died near there and was rolled up in the mat and the mat was pulled back up. A hoodie and a pair of orange and black gym shoes were also found lying on the floor of the gym, as well as traces of blood on the wall nearby. What? Uh, Investigators tested the blood, which revealed that it didn't belong to KJ. Who's just bleeding in the... I guess it's a gym. It's a a high school gym. Uh, They also reported that the blood had likely been there for a long time. Okay. Um, They didn't take the hoodie or the shoes into evidence. They just gave it back to KJ's family. Oh, okay. So I, I don't know if it was his or... I don't know. I was like, the gym shoes that he shares with his friend, I wouldn't want those shoes back. <laughs> no, no, no. That This was like a separate pair. I there's see, I see. There's a lot of shoes involved. Okay. So there's the shoes that he was reaching for. There's the shoes that were like on tucked him? on top of his feet. Yeah, up at the top of the, and of the mat. There's and then a third, third pair. Weird. Uh, yeah, super weird. I mean, I wish I had brought that many shoes to school. Yeah, I don't even... I, I was going to say, I don't think I even own that many pairs of shoes, but I'm looking at my Crocs and my Converse and my Vans sitting right there. Yeah, that's a major lie. (laughs) I don't think I did in high school, though. Oh, I totally did. Oh, no. I still have some of my high school shoes. I love them. Wow, I don't. Oh, I'll just show them to you. I can't think of a single pair of shoes I had in high school besides, like, flip-flops from Old Navy. So... Almost immediately, at least the Johnsons were suspicious of the investigation, like, from the beginning. They believed that the sheriff's department was way too quick to rule out, like, anything suspicious. Or foul um, play. Right, as a as a cause of his death. And within 24 hours of finding his body, they concluded it was an accident. Like, it was not that much time. And it, I don't know. It's hard to say. You don't I, know I what think their it's hard to policies say. are. You don't know what their procedures are. Uh, yeah. It's also hard to say because, again, you don't know what you don't know what evidence they might have had. Because yeah. officers are notorious for withholding evidence. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but then I also understand the side of the family. Well, and the other thing is, like, they've been so held up in litigation ever since this, like, mm-hmm. ongoing, ongoing, ongoing that. There might be evidence that, one, the family doesn't know about, two, can't be released because they're still in litigation over it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's the thing with evidence is it takes, I mean, we go through a process every year of basically purging evidence that has been collected over the years based on, like, case statuses and stuff. I always wondered, because I'm just like, I feel like evidence is like Mary Poppins... Bag. suitcase or whatever oh, totally she has is. just like yeah. there's just this room that i've never seen i yeah. don't know the size of it but it's just like officers are always like i'm taking this in yeah. evidence i'm taking this in evidence yeah. i'm just like when do we run out of room <laughs> yeah like once a year they take all this stuff Weird. and we get forms that say like um that bring up what it, like what it is what the case number was and so we have to go through and see like, what the status of that case is, and then decide if we want that destroyed, if we want it given back to the... Families. Owners, families, yeah. So huh. we make that decision, and then the evidence tech goes through with that. Gotcha. So, I don't know. Um, that's the thing, is the public only knows so much of what the police does, but I, I think that's quick. A year? Personally. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, anytime... Oh, 24-hour Yeah, thing. anytime yeah, a kid... I think it's totally quick. ...dies that way... 
It's very traumatic. Yeah. Especially, I'm going to start my rant now. As a high schooler, I was lazy. So to think that I was going to climb up a six-foot mat to try to get my shoes, I think is crazy. But I'm yeah. sure we're going to have some debate about whether it's crazy or not. I would have knocked that shit over, or I would have been like, mm, fuck it, I've got another pair of shoes, I'll just wear those. Yeah. What's the thing, you're just wearing shoes. It's not like you didn't have any shoes that you right. could wear, like... Just wait for the mats. Or wait till your friend comes over and he gets the shoes. Right. Let him deal with that. Right. I don't know. Something. Regardless, I, even if, even though I do lean towards it being an accident, um, I think the department would have done itself a favor had they maybe made it take a little bit longer. Yeah, that's true. Like, maybe didn't don't, come to such yes. a big decision so quickly exactly think maybe make sure you cross your t's and dot your eyes yep yep wait for the corner wait for right everything. and also explain that better to the family then because they obviously i don't feel like they have the correct answers yeah johnson's were also sure that their son's body had been moved which was corroborated by the Lowndes county coroner bill watson um georgia hmm. state law dictates that the coroner be contacted immediately on the discovery of a body but watson claimed uh, that he was not notified until six hours after police had arrived on scene. That... I don't know if that's true. I've heard a lot of sources say that, which is mm. weird. That is extremely weird. That's always the first thing that we do when oh, we yeah. encounter a dead body. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, um, this person's dead. I need the corner. Yep. Because the the thing with dead bodies is like they we don't want them in our custody. Like once it uh, police are on the scene of a dead body. That body is not ours. Yeah. It's the coroner's. We don't want to mess with it. We don't want to mess anything up. Like, yeah. So, I don't... And the other thing is, like, if you're in a school and school's in session, like, you want to get that out of there I know, ASAP. right? You don't want to sit there with it. Did it sit there for three... Six hours? Supposedly. Yeah. They didn't... I thought that they would have at least moved it out of the school. Oh, my gosh. Mm-mm. Um. That's and, awful. Yeah. Uh, Johnson's parents also argued that if it was an accident, how could nobody have heard Kendrick call for help, um, in a high school of over 3,000 students? And my counter-argument to that is that, one, he wasn't in the main gym, um, and two, he was in the middle mat, like, there were several rolled up, he was in the one that was pretty much in the middle. If you've ever, like, seen one of those like a wrestling mat they're like thick they're like three or four inches thick and that is dense dense foam and what does dense foam do it absorbs muffles yes um so i don't think if he was that far in there i don't think anybody would have heard him because he'd be yelling into the bottom right which is covered by the floor it's up flush against the floor like yeah there's nowhere for that sound to go except for like maybe bounce back in his face (laughs) yeah exactly so i don't I don't think that's I could valid either. See it being a valid argument if maybe it was the other way around. Like for some reason it was at the bottom and he was able to like face up exactly. and project and, it and that go way out, but yeah. there was just literally nowhere for the sound to go. That sucks. Yep. Uh, his parents also believe that their son's death was not being taken seriously because of his race. Um, he was and the family were black and Lowndes County Sheriff Chris Prines and all the investigators were all white. Personally, I don't see why this matters. Um, but apparently in 2013 racism in Valdosta or Valdosta, Georgia was still very much alive. Um, the family's attorney 
expressed that if Kendrick had been white, the case would have been handled differently. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. How can you, like, go back in hindsight, look at that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. hard to say. I hope not. Right. I was just about I to say, they like... just treated it as they would in any case. I know. Which, either way, they shouldn't have done some things, like leaving the body for six hours and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I can see the family's point of view, especially, like I said, if the mother had a reason... Like, my point of view was, like, maybe she didn't call police at first because she has had previous encounters or, like, the family has or, like, somebody has in which they've not had police taken seriously or, like, if there was that case of sure. racism, like, would they feel safe reaching right. out to the local law enforcement? And especially with this case coming up, maybe they have prior experiences that have given them these yeah. notions, yeah. which would make sense. But again, it's I just, like, know. unfortunately, if we're not in their shoes, we mm-hmm. don't quite understand exactly what right. they're thinking. Exactly. It just makes me sad that that's... It, that that's what they think. That that's what they think, and that's a problem that, yeah. you know, right. I feel like America has had since slavery, mm-hmm. so... Yep. Something that hopefully we can overcome one day. Yep. And they, they blame that. I mean, they say that the police, you know, didn't take in evidence that they should have, that they weren't wearing booties on their shoes. That's not a normal thing. Booties Every podcast I listen to was like, well, they weren't wearing booties on their shoes and that tracks stuff around. No, we are not. Most departments are not issued that as like standard equipment. I've never once seen a pair, put a pair on myself. Or ever put one on at a scene of a crime or a death or anything. So, yeah. just a heads up. That too. People just don't understand policies. No, so, like, in the example of Candace Hiltz, her murder was extremely mishandled. Evidence wasn't taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. She was white. Yep. I'm not trying yeah. to say that... I'm not trying to... Not trying to dismiss. I'm not trying to dismiss concerns, racism but because understand there's that yeah, there's clear racism. Cases get fucked yeah. up, regard like Jamine Ramsey. Right, cases get fucked up regardless. Yeah, and I, I I'm sad that me that they think that it's a race factor because yeah. it's like I said. I hope, I it's, hope not. it's not. Yeah, same. Um, I don't know how to better eloquent. The, no, I don't either. I'm trying to say sorry. No, I'm trying good. to not offend anybody. It's just hard <laughs> to try to understand our points of view from being a little bit more on this side of things. Yeah. Whatever. I'm okay. trying to undig this hole that I feel like I'm digging. Um, so his parents ended up releasing a photo to the media of their son's face that they took in the funeral home. I will pull that up for you as soon as I find my phone that I lost somewhere. It's what fell. Oh, shit. So they took that in the funeral home, and if you've ever heard of this case, you've probably looked up this photo. Please know that it is all over the internet because they released it. The family released it. So this is, like, we're going to post it and it's not us, like, disrespecting anybody or anything like that. They've totally released that so that this case gets more attention. Yeah, that was like, what's the word? Attention. Um, Like, in a good way. Like, right. bringing good attention. So it is upsetting to say oh, the least. Um, It shows an extremely swollen face that the Johnsons claimed was evidence that their son had been beaten. However, swelling and bloating are both extremely common after you die. They're almost, like, the first thing that happens. Like, I've been on scene where somebody pretty much just died, and within an hour or two, they're unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. Um, Pair this with the fact that he was upside down for many hours, and all of those fluids get pushed to the face because gravity and 
this was post-autopsy. So generally in an autopsy, the skin on your face gets flayed forward so they can so that they can reach your skull cap and can reach your brain so Mm -hmm. keep that in mind when you look at these photos like that is not just what he looked like like he looks very different from yeah because in what he looked like alive but also yeah because in the picture it definitely looks like you can see like ripples in his forehead where you can clearly see where his skin had pushed forward yeah so that makes sense to me yes so that is not necessarily an indication that he was beaten that is all natural processes that happen when we die uh the media release caused an uproar in the public and it led to the exhumation of kendrick's body in may of 2013 uh johnson's hired a private pathologist to carry out the second autopsy and this time It revealed that Kendrick had suffered hemorrhaging on the right side of his neck, which meant that he likely died from blunt force trauma. Pathologists concluded his death was not an accident. However, he was also being paid by the family, and this was four months after he had died. So do you think they were paying him to say certain things, or do you think... I think maybe unintentionally they might have, like... Been like, hey, I think my son was killed and uh, beat up, and so that's you, what he was more looking for. His bias, yeah, yeah. A, he's being paid by them. B, they're sh- exhuming him for a reason, and he's aware of that. It was a high profile case. Yeah, so. maybe he wanted to stir the pot, or maybe he wanted to give the family the answers that they wanted. I don't know. Um, I don't on know top either. of this, There's the of second things. autopsy revealed that some of Johnson's organs were missing. And in their place, his body had been stuffed with newspaper, and the family did not know this. However, again, this is totally normal. Um, That's normal? Because after autopsies, the coroner often disposes of the organs as they are way too, like, decomposed and compromised after you... I mean, they take samples of everything, they take everything out, they weigh it, they do XYZ with it, and sometimes they just... Put newspaper in your body? Yeah, the funeral home will. Usually it's cotton. Sometimes it is newspaper or sawdust. And that keeps your uh, chest in, like... Like, to look from, full. Yeah, keeps it from, like, caving in. Which is important if you're doing a viewing. Um, well, that well, that would be important, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be kind of disturbing not only to see right. your son's face in the state that it is, but right. then his face... His, not his face, his chest is caved in. Right. Ugh. But most people don't know that that's a normal thing that happens, because most people, when they die of natural causes, don't get autopsies. So that's none of true. that happens, right? That is true. Um... So the Johnsons also didn't know this, and they were super upset by it, um, and they tried to sue the funeral home for mishandling their son's body, thinking maybe they'd done so to, like, cover up his true cause of death, but that case was dropped because it was not, it had no bearing. Hmm. Um, Regardless, the organs were gone and couldn't be tested during the second autopsy, which further aroused suspicions in the Johnsons uh, that it was a cover-up. As a result of the new evidence from the second autopsy, Matthew Moore, the U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia, announced a formal review of the case. It would turn out that the review uh, would turn up no new conclusions as there were n- there was no evidence that panned out to support a different cause of death. Okay. Also, he played football. Mm-hmm. Blunt force trauma happens in football. It does. It was January, though. I don't know when their seasons oh, are. Oh, that's true. I'm not sure when their seasons are. Also, I don't know how, like, how well that lasts or holds up 
four mm-hmm. or five months after you've died. Been That's embalmed. True. Yeah. And also have been exhumed. So I, I don't know. I just don't know the science either. behind that. So I don't either. I'm just trying to think of reasons why he would have blunt force trauma if it wasn't. Well, there's theories of that uh, that come from the oh. next autopsy that happens. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you're I'm tra- good. I'm, tra- no, you're I'm like, good. sorry. Um, my head. So there were cameras in the school. Most schools have cameras. And there were cameras, yeah, that faced the mats. Um, like when we were in school, there were cameras? My school had cameras. I don't know about yours. I don't know either. Um, I apparently didn't do anything to pay attention to right. them. <laughs> um, the cameras that faced the mats were unfocused and skipped around. What? All that could be seen from the cameras was Kendrick walking towards the gym and then several seconds of footage of him like jogging inside the gym. And then he was never shown within or leaving the gym. And he never showed up for his following classes after that last footage of him was seen. But so, it was, like, skipped around? Like, mm-hmm. it was edited? That's what they think. And professionals have said, hey, this has been altered mm. to be more blurry hmm. and is missing data, is what they said. Weird. Um, furthermore, a whole hour of footage from the gym is missing right at the time where, uh, basically, it would have shown what happened to him. Uh, the finding further increased the confidence of doubters that his death was an accident. That makes sense. So, with all that in mind, let the lawsuits begin. Yeah, I can't wait. 2014, Kendrick Johnson's parents filed a wrongful death suit against the school's officials, alleging that Johnson had been harassed by a white student, which went neglected by the school, perhaps due to his race. Wait, so, the school, wait, they did this before he died? No. Oh, after. Yes. That's the, okay. It's so, kind of like, you ever watch uh, 13 Reasons Why? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, 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 You know yeah, how yeah. they, like, couldn't, they couldn't prove that... What the they, kids They just said did. that she was bullied and that caused her to kill herself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rumors go, started going around that the murder of Johnson uh, might have been at the hands of two white brothers, Brian and Brandon Bell. It was claimed that they cl- killed him because of a fight they had over a year earlier. Which escalated. I don't know how that would hold up. It's a long grudge to hold. I don't know. Teenage um, boys, though. Right. The, they like to be tough. <laughs> the John- I don't know. Like, I feel like teenage boys just, like, get in a fight and then they're done with it. I feel like girls hold grudges a lot. Mm. Longer yeah. and harder. I can see that. Yeah. They accused the brother's father, who was an FBI agent at the time, of covering up the murder and by manipulating the school and authorities involved um, by dealing with the cameras, making sure the cops came to the accident conclusion quickly, etc., etc. Um, in 2015, the Johnsons filed a $100 million civil lawsuit against 38 people, including three of their son's classmates, the school's... Uh, a local crime lab, state and federal officials, five agents of the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, an FBI agent, probably the dad, mm-hmm. uh, and more. The parents Holy ass- shit. Yeah, the parents asserted that the sons of the FBI agent killed Johnson, used their connections to cover it up. Same thing that they were trying to assert in the first lawsuit, which was dropped. This one was um, also dropped because no evidence to pin the death on the brothers was ever found. And this was after a raid of their home gave authorities access to all of their communication devices, their phones, computers, everything, and no evidence connecting the brothers was found. 
both had alibis for that time that Kendrick was in the gym. One was, like, across the school. One was on the bus on his way to a wrestling tournament. Um, oh. And although this is the case, the brothers, unfortunately, suffered a lot of consequences of the accusations that would change their lives. So, like, scholarships that they had been promised were taken away because they are like, well, if you do get connected to this, we don't want you to come to our school. Right. Shit like that, so. Ugh. Um, Johnson's father, however, admitted that he had no hard evidence to back up any of the claims from any of the suits, and they had to drop them. They ended up being sued for more than 850000 in attorney fees and more than $1 million in defamation charges. That's what I was going to say. It's like defamation of character is a huge thing, yeah. especially for those boys. Yep. Mm-hmm. They were ultimately ordered by a judge to pay close to $300,000 worth of lawyer's fees to those they had accused with no evidence. As of my sources, that has not been paid or even, like, attempted. Dang. Um, in June of 2018, Kendrick Johnson's body was exhumed for a second time and a third autopsy was performed. This came after the family believed that the high school surveil- surveillance cameras had been altered mm-hmm. in an attempt to cover up the real cause of Kendrick's death, like we talked about before. They finally got an expert to look at the footage, and they, that expert was like, ah, this looks wonky, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, the findings of the third autopsy found that not only was his death not accidental and caused by blunt force trauma like, uh, to, the, to the neck, like we said, this guy said that it was specifically from being struck in the neck with a 45-pound dumbbell. Now, how on earth you could prove that? How badly decomposed with the Five body? years after he had been buried. I mean, I understand that people can understand, like, pathologists for sure yeah. know, like, if you look at a set of bones, they can probably try to figure out what the cause of death was. Sure. But without the tissue there, I would imagine it would be a lot more difficult, and I feel like... I, I feel like if they can't decide what was used to hit JonBenet Ramsey in the head... Mm-hmm. With that injury, <laughs> yeah, I don't right. know how they could possibly right, say, right, like, right. oh, it was specifically a 45-pound dumbbell that hit you right. in the neck. Like, totally. that makes no sense. I get you. There's a lot. I'm going to be going through a lot of, like, autopsies with mine. <sighs> and there's just a lot of, it could have been this, but I'm not really sure. It yeah. might have been this. But also, yeah. it could have done this. And that, I mean, there's no way he could have done it like this. But right. it's a lot of rabbit holes. A lot of rabbit holes. It's fine. So... Um, Kendrick's parents hoped that with the results of this third autopsy, the surveillance footage, which, uh, they were convinced had been tampered with, and the mishandling of evidence at the scene, that would be enough to reopen their son's case, but that didn't happen. It's been attempted several times and then just keeps getting dismissed, 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 so. That's where that's at. That's it? That's it. Okay, so what What do do you think happened? (laughs) I think it was an accident. You think he was trying to reach his shoes? I totally think that. I kind of think the same thing. Because of how his body was? Yeah. If I you're think trying there's to... weird shit, like the... Uh, the, the blood. Sh- the blood was weird, and the shoes on top of him were weird, but my other thing is, maybe if kids were always storing shit in those lockers, or in the mats, you know what I would have done? Huh. Tossed my shoes up there. I wouldn't yeah, have climbed yeah, yeah. up and, like... Also, it would have been interesting if like kids came by and they were like oh these are kj's shoes like i know he like puts them in these mats and they probably were yeah. like let's just throw them up there for him totally 
Yep. No, I would totally free throw shot that into yeah. those mats. Heck yeah, that's I would. That's where I kept my stuff. So that makes sense, I think. I've never heard any other podcast talk about how they got there, but I think somebody probably just tossed them in there. That would make sense. So Also, the position that he's found in is definitely something that I would do if I were, like, getting into, it, like, a tight space mm-hmm. trying to reach. Yep. Like, that's what I would and do. you just slip a little too much and you're, that's you're it. You're stuck. That's what, I have a fucking reoccurring dream of that shit all the time. I would like to know what, like, how wide are his hips? I don't know, but, like, didn't his dad or something, like, try to recreate crawling into one of those mats or something? I think I remember. I don't know. Somebody on some podcast saying that and he's like, well, I couldn't fit. And it's like, you're also a grown man. Yeah. Unless you had the exact measurements for your son, which is right. awesome, I guess. But right. I think I did hear something like that. Like, they were recreating it where they were like, well, the people couldn't get in or out. And it's like, well, on that off chance, you slip a little too much. Yeah. That's it. And I also think teenagers are a little bit more stubborn. Right. When it comes to that. Right. I don't think I mentioned it in here. They they ended up um, saying that he died of positional asphyxiation, which mm. is basically where you're in a position that doesn't allow you to get any kind of oxygen flow and... And a lot, a lot of the podcasts I listened to said that was like, oh, it's so rare, blah, blah, blah. We learn about that. I think that happens a lot. In the academy. Oh, yeah, totally We does. learn about it as dispatchers because yep. that's a thing. If somebody's not breathing effectively, the first thing we do is put them in a different position to try to mm-hmm. open their airway. Yep. If you put um, somebody in handcuffs and they're not sitting the right way or set up the right way, they, it can really affect how, how they're breathing and they're... Yeah whole situation so that's what it was ruled a lot of people say that's like a catch-all for like like you remember back in the day when it was like consumption people oh, died yeah. of consumption everyone died of consumption right. before we or had the vaccination exposure <laughs> yeah. you died of exposure yeah they say it's like the same kind of thing but no it's it's, it's definitely a real likely. thing that i that police are definitely trained in yeah so that's the death of kendrick johnson it makes me so sad me too I feel so sad for his family. Like, I understand them trying to fight for justice for him. I totally get it. It just makes me so sad that they had to lose their son to, like... Yeah. Especially the way she found out. I don't know. It's fucked. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that we're done being sad about one thing, can we be sad about another thing? Let's do it. Because this made me extremely sad doing research about it, not just listening to other people's research about it. You know what I mean? So, I was sleeping one morning, or evening. I'm very hard to wake up. Like, I'm very grumpy. I don't I don't care who you are or what you're doing. If you don't wake me up correctly, I'm just a monster. I'm a heathen. And poor Macy has to put up with me. But there was one evening where I was sleeping and I was grumbly and I didn't want to wake up. And she comes in and she <laughs> tells me something that wakes me up in a fucking heartbeat. She says, they solved Dialov Pass. And I literally instantly sat up and I was like, what? What? What happened? What did they do? What What? What about the tents? You know, I started asking all these questions, and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So she tells me, and then I was, like, so excited, and then I was really disappointed, because I was like, fuck, I really wanted to cover that for an episode. I wanted to do that so badly. But she was like, do it. And I was like, no one's going to want to hear it, because it's solved. Like, one podcast covers it, and everybody knows the answer, and then it's fucking boring. Move on to the next. But I did a poll... On Instagram, and thank you guys, we got a lot of feedback, a lot more than I thought. And a lot of you said that you want to hear it anyway. Somebody even messaged me saying, me, 
us um, <laughs> saying that they just love to hear the theories and stuff like that. Thank you guys so much for your feedback because it made me even more excited to do research on it. And I went into a fucking rabbit hole. I found this one website, though, that is amazing. It gave me everything that I wanted and even more. And it is, I think it's literally like dlovepass.com. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And it, it, when I say it gave me everything, it literally gave me everything. I think I have like three sources for this episode because that's really all that I needed. Because right. I felt like if I went down any more rabbit holes, I literally would have just lost I just would have done too much. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. So thank you guys for telling me that you wanted to listen to this. If you guys want to check out some of the pictures about Dialove Pass, the website I just mentioned has amazing pictures. They have um, the autopsy, uh, the forensic pathologist's like quotes about every single person. And then also they have little figures of like where the injuries were for each person. And then as well as like their actual bodies from when they were found in the snow like they were photographed as they were found and then as they were dug out and then as they were in the autopsy room so it's like crazy and they those i'm impressed by that isn't it like the wherewithal to do that what do you mean to take the photos of before like as they were finding them they they thought it was a crime scene they thought that those kids were murdered right so they thought it was the only thing that they could do right because a lot of my notes state there was, like, a criminal investigation, and so, like, a lot of the autopsy was um, reports of, like, well, one of the females, well, both of the females they reported weren't um, sexually active at the time of their deaths, which they thought would have been a factor if somebody had come in and murdered them. Unfortunately, they just assumed that if it was a group of men that went in and murdered them, that they would have sexually assaulted the women. Wow. Yeah, so that was okay. something that they were looking for. <laughs> And it's in the autopsy that they kind of point out, which is super sad and fucked up, but alas, this is life. So so we're going back to the year of 1959. There's a group of 10 people who gathered for a skiing expedition across northern Urals in Slavengosh... Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Slavengloska. Why did I do that better? Slavengloska? Yep. In Slavengloska, Oblast. In the Soviet Union at that time, those 10 people were Igor, Igor, I'm going to mm-hmm. go with Igor, Dyatlov, Yuri Doroshenko, Lyudmila Dubanina, Georgi, he calls himself Yuri, and I'm calling him Yuri 2.0 because there's a lot of Yuris in here, um, Yuri 2.0, Krivonishenko, um, Alexander Kov- Kolvatov, Zenadia Kolmogorova, Rustam Slobodin. I'm fucking all these names up. I'm so sorry. Nikolai. I'm not going to try to pronounce Nikolai's last name. It's hyphenated. Oh, God. It's difficult. Um, Semyon, who goes by Alexander, so I'm calling him Alexander (laughs) 2.0. And Yuri Yodin, who is Yuri 3.0. So. Nice. Here we are. (laughs) Um... Uh, I, Igor was 23 years old. He was an engineering student at Ural Polytechnical Institute, which is now Ural Federal University. He was considered the leader of the group. Most of them were either friends or just peers at the school. There was one of them that was just a little bit older than the rest. And he, I think, 
I, th- I believe that he's the one that they found along the way that was kind of like, hey, I really know this area. Like, I'll join you on your adventures. And that's Alexander 2.0. So I'm not going to go into every single person's age and their backstory. There's just far too many of them to do that. You know what I mean? And I'm just covering Igor because he was the leader and he... Named after it's him. named after him. So <laughs> that's where we're going with that. Um Each member of the group were considered experienced hikers along with their ski tour experience. They held a grade two title and would get a grade three certification upon their return of this expedition. Basically, at that time, the Soviet in the Soviet Union, that's the highest certification for um, like their hiking abilities, I guess. We used to have groups like that at CSU. Oh, really? Yeah, you could join a group and then you get certified to. That's really cool. And I think that's. Even more awesome that they were very young. They were, like, in their early to mid-20s for the most part. Like, to be a grade three, like, that's fucking wild. Mm -hmm. So they must have really loved this shit, especially since the grade three certification required candidates to traverse 300 kilometers, which is 190 miles. Holy shit. Could you imagine? No. I know. I'd rather die. So this specific route was designed by the group to reach the far northern regions of Slavgoshka Oblast and the upper streams of the Lasva River and have an end goal of reaching Otorten, which was a mountain 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles north of the site where they were later found. Also, I forgot to put the disclaimer that this is in not my native tongue. I'm trying... I listened... I think we've all figured that out. I know, but I literally listened a million times and I gave... I highlighted... And gave my own, like, in my notes, will you just look for my verification? Oh, yeah. Like, I try to put my pronunciation, and I just fucked it up. It's oh, fine. Oh, didn't fuck it up. So I'm trying, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, um, anyways, this route, however, had to be approved by the Slavgov... <laughs> I only have to say this thing a million more times. Svelgloske? City Route Commission, <laughs> and it was indeed improved on January 8th in 1959. I'm trying so hard. I'm not trying to make fun of how they pronounce their... <laughs> I'm, try- I'm, try- I'm just trying to pronounce it. I'm sorry. Um, anyways, so the route that they did was, like, followed a certain trail, so it wasn't, like, uncommon, but it was, like, popular in this particular area. When all of these conditions are put together in the month of February, is considered a Category 3, which was considered the most... Difficult time to traverse. Reminds me of uh, the Donner party. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're, like, trying to take these shortcuts, trying to avoid the winter, and then they end up just... All the, yeah, all the different... It's perfect storm of everything to just fuck mm. up their trip. Yeah, which, I mean, is literally the... Totally. Yeah. So I guess they like the challenge, and, like, what, like, young adult doesn't like to challenge themselves It's something that they're good at, especially when you're getting a category or a... What is it called? A cert out of it. Yeah, a grade three certification. Like, you want to, like, kick ass, you know what I mean? I would mm-hmm. take on something challenging, too, if it was what I was good at, you know? Totally. Um, so they took off for their trip on the early morning of January 25th. After some train rides and driving the rest of the way, they reached their inhabited, their last inhabited settlement called Vis- Visai. This is where they spend the night and replenish on food, which ended up being, like, bread to keep up their energy levels, you know, like, carbo-loading. Yeah. Just really making sure they get some nice things that are going to fill them up easily right. and give them that energy. Yeah. Um, 
So before, Igor agreed to, with his follow, follow fellow adventurers that he would send a telegram to the sports club, which is, I'm assuming, who approved of the venture, um, advising their return from the trip, which the given route that they had planned out was going to be 16 days. So they were anticipated to arrive no later than February 12th. They leave on their travels officially from Visay on the 27th, and early on the trek the next day, Yuri 3.0 had to turn around and leave due to knee and joint pain that made it difficult to continue, and he also had, like, some kind of heart condition that I didn't put in the notes because I didn't think was important, but then I'm thinking, like, if he's hiking, your heart's kind of a big deal to, like, take care of. Sure. <laughs> so I'm sure yeah. if he had joint pain and he was struggling right. already, that that probably wasn't good for his heart condition. He is able to trek back by himself just fine. So there's nine of them now. And the next few days are accounted for by their diaries and journals and cameras that were along uh, the number five trail that they were following. It's important also to note that they shared the same large tent that Igor had created himself. It was so high tech that it even had an area where they would vent like a fire, like a stove kind of thing. Not only to like keep them warm, but that way they can eat, like cook food and stuff like that without being out in the wilderness. Um, Oh, and also... The area itself during this time averaged zero degrees Fahrenheit. So that's the average. That seems awful. But on the 29th, Nikolai wrote that it was negative 13 degrees Celsius, which is about like nine degrees Fahrenheit. So so it's warm. Yeah, that's it's a balmy that's super nine warm. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he also stated that otherwise it was good. They had like a weak wind and there was ice over the Lasva River. Which they talk about the ice on the river a lot. I don't know if that's just like a mountaineer thing that I'm not really aware of. But sure. I think I think what I read in my research was that they at one point would have to cross the river. And so they were really making sure that ice was thick enough to support them. But with how, like, again, warm it was, right. it wasn't as thick as they would like for it to be. So they were kind of following along the river. Right. On January 30th, one of the hikers wrote about the Manzi tribe and seeing their items and glyphs on the trees on the route. And there's... No idea what they would say because only the Manzi tribe speaks their language. But they didn't like really think anything of it because it's like their native area. Right. Let's get into the Manzi since I talked about them and they come up a lot later. The Manzi are the local indigenous people native to that northern part of full Glasgow Oblast. Um, so, and also on that day, it's noted that the wind is strong out of the southwest and the snow was beginning to fall. And this came heavy with clouds and a drop in temperature, which was still in the normal range for the area. But it was negative 26 degrees Fahrenheit, which, no, sorry, negative 26 degrees Celsius, which is negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Definitely not that nine degree warm weather we were talking about the day before. Then on the 31st, the next day, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and started to prepare for their climbing into the wooded area. And it was around this area that they stored a bunch of food safely up in the trees for their trip back because, you know, fuck carrying all that shit around. And then also, like, that's just a thing you do when you're on these long expeditions like that, you know? The diary entries for this day state that the weather was getting worse and now had a west high wind. And the snow coming down was likely from the trees because of the wind. They didn't, because the sky was clear, so they're like, it's not likely snowing. It's just whatever is coming down on us is what's coming from the trees, Um, which makes sense. But it still made it hard to see their trail and where they were going. Um, So at this time of their adventures, they were going 1.52 kilometers or one mile an hour. So I don't know how long it takes to hike. 
at least on long expeditions, I usually am just like, hey, let's go hike. I don't have, like, an end goal. I just kind of stop wherever I want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, these people had goals. And so I was just like, for real people that take this seriously, how, like, what is the average that you would hike an hour? And so basically these, what I found is that for an easy route, which is basically flat elevation, like, no, like, nothing to, like, hinder you from just going is um, 1.5 miles an hour. So the fact that they were going one mile an hour, I think, is quite impressive, given that they couldn't see their trail, it was snowed in, and yeah. the tactics that they were using to, like, clear out the path... Like, they used one person with skis to go ahead and, like, recreate the path. Then they'd wait there, and then everybody would come up with them. Right. So, I think that would be way more time-consuming, so I'm very impressed that they were even managing a mile an hour. Sure. What do I know? Right. Walking on a treadmill is difficult for me. So, later in the day, it was recorded that, uh, or sorry, by Igor, that they had a stop for the evening where the deepest snow was, which is 1.22 meters, which is four feet deep. And he reports that, quote, wind is western, warm, piercing, with speed like that, no, I'm sorry, like the draft from airplanes that take off, end quote. So it was a warm wind, but forceful. Okay. And um, that's the last entry we have in the journals. But we know that they go further. It's assumed that perhaps since they lost visibility of the trail during that time where the wind was really bad in the snow, um, that they veered off their route and they ended up actually being west of where they were planning on being. So on February 1st, they started to ascend the pass, which the plan seemed to, ge- seemed to be to get through the pass and set up camp on the other side by the end of the night. This path that they were taking far west went towards the top of the Colat Siakel, which is a literal translation that means dead mountain. I don't like that. Hmm. But then I'm assuming, or like everybody's assuming, that they realized that they messed up and decided to set camp on the slope of this said dead mountain. Which seems kind of odd to me when comparing the area and the terrain, because about... 1.5 kilometers, which is 0.93 miles downhill, was a forested area that would have offered better shelter from the harsh weather. But also, they were they were creating their own trail. They're fucking tired. I'm sure it's cold. I can't even deal with temperatures that are below 50. So, don't know how they're doing this. Um, Yuri Yodin, the one that left, thought that the leader, Igor, didn't want to lose the altitude that they had gained because they could see their destination from the altitude. So maybe they camped there because they wanted to keep that visual of where they were going or at least remember the direction that it was in if it became cloudy or bad weather again or because they were training to get their certification and he wanted them to practice camping on a mountain slope. So it's kind of either or on what they were thinking about doing. Because, you know, it's just casual practice doing that in a blizzard, sure. but whatever. Again, Yuri 3.0, um, according to him, Igor had told him before that he expected the expedition to take longer than the 16 days and probably due to the storm or maybe he wanted to take extra time and really wanted to hone in and practice their skills. I don't really know, but I mean, I think it'd be better, like, unlike the Titanic who wanted to beat their time, I think it's better to say, I think it's going to take longer and not push yourselves too much. So I think he had a good plan in the beginning. So because of that, it wasn't a surprise when the 12th of February comes around and 
nobody returns, so nobody really raises any concern. Not only with the info from URI 3.0 stating it was expected to take longer, but more challenging routes like this tended to last at least a couple days longer than expected, and so a lot of the other people that are aware of these situations were really not that worried. Not that worried. However, when February 20th rolls around, the family became a bit too concerned that it was taking over a week for their return, and then they sent a search team out. The search team consisted at first of volunteer students and teachers, so could you imagine, like, training and mountaineering and saying, I'm gonna go help look for my friends? Nope. Yeah. Sucks. So then later, probably a couple days after not finding anything, the army and their military forces became involved, in which they provided helicopters and planes to help look for the um, group of ten. Or, I'm sorry, the group of nine. So then, on February 26th, there was no update on their status since about February 2nd, February 1st, when we last hear from them, or, like, know their whereabouts. Searchers then find the group's empty and extremely damaged campsite on the Colat Siakul mountainside there. So the the site of the camp area kind of baffled rescuers at first. The student that found the tent, whose name is Mikhail Sharvin, said that, quote, the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind, end quote. And upon further investigation, it was found that the tent had been cut open from the inside and all their belongings were left behind, such as appropriate winter gear, which they would be aware of taking with them, their journals, um, some vodka, which we all know is the best thing to keep you warm, their route map, so like the thing that told them where they were going, and even a mandolin that somebody had brought along for entertainment. Hmm. So like just everything. There were cameras that were left behind that they had used to take pictures along the way. Just things that seemed odd. Right. So they the rescuers also found that there were about eight to nine sets of footprints made by people wearing either socks, a single shoe, or were even barefoot. And these footprints looked to be walking in, like, a calm manner. So, like, no running or anything to make it seem like they were panicked. Like, no stumbling. Like, kind of just a casual stride in deep snow. You know what I mean? Right. Um, the search team followed these prints to the edge of the nearby woods, the ones that I think that they should have camped at instead of the mountain, but again, what do I know? After about 500 meters, which is 1,600 feet, the tracks were covered with snow, so that the effect, honestly, that they found any footprints at all is, like, amazing to me. Especially with, like, how the tent was damaged and, like, just the area in general, especially when we talk about later on, like, how much fucking snow had been there Mm -hmm. the fact that like an area had been untouched is kind of crazy to me there was some evidence though that they some part of the group or all of the group had seeked shelter in this forest which again they should have done in the first place also call me and the titanic never would have happened so that's my opinion. Anyways, don't we all know everything after it's happened? <laughs> We're all experts. Anyways, so then the next day of their search on February 27th, the first two bodies were discovered. They were the bodies of Yuri 2.0 and Yuri D. Um, they were both shoeless and dressed only in their underwear, which we'll f- get into that in a second. I'm really going to go deep into each person's like injuries and stuff like that, just not right now. Um, close by the bodies, just inside the forest edge under a large tree, which is 
in the website called The Cedar Tree were remnants of a small fire. One of the searchers, Vadim Brustingen, Brustingen, something like that, gave a statement for a criminal case regarding the incident and stated, quote, next to the bodies was a fire. Nearby were more than 10 small fir tree branches cut with a finished knife. The lower dry branches of about five centimeters in diameter diameter had been cut from the cedar. Some of these were lying next to the fire. The snow around was trampled, end quote. And then there was also a Captain Chernyshev that was part of the search team, and I'm assuming he was, like, one of the leads or at least somebody in charge. He gave an official statement as well, stating, quote, it's possible to conclude that the other people that other people had since been by the fire. We found various garments next to it rather than on the bodies, but we didn't find any other bodies. The trees near the fire had been cut with knives, but we found no knives with the bodies. Hmm. So just with these two bodies, they can already tell there was more than just these two people around, and it's weird that their clothes are laying around them, but they're naked, but there's also that weird thing about frostbite where you feel like you're burning up and you take it off your clothes mm-hmm. um and then they're like well clearly they had used this knife for something but we can't find it so they are already coming to some conclusions another person i don't know why i didn't use his first name named mazin mazinikov he was a part of the search team as well, and he stated that Yuri D and Yuri 2.0 may have had the help of others and, quote, had made a pretty good fire with the branches of fir trees, but the fire had been alight for maybe an hour and a half because um, the eight centimeter branches that had been cut had been burned, had not been burned all the way through. And then also, like, the other branches were just, like, laying around. It right. was just kind of weird. Anyways, there's another search party member at Minaki. He guessed that, quote, for about 20 meters around the cedar, there was evidence of young fir trees being cut with a knife. We saw around 20 such cut stumps, but we couldn't see any cut branches left except for one. It isn't possible to imagine they would use to maintain a fire. First of all, they are not good for word. Wood. <laughs> uh, they aren't good firewood. <laughs> and second, around them was quite a lot of dry twigs and materials, which I feel like would have been a much better, I don't know, fire source. The search team sent another radio message in which they stated that the volume of work done, like with how many number of cuts in the trees, had to be more than just those two people because the cold would have sure. killed them a long time before they got right. to that much. So this possibly suggests that, again, the others had been alive at this location at the same point, or that after the others had left, there were people that came to this location afterwards and also messed with the area. Hmm. Especially, that's what a lot of people believe since they can't find the knife, that some people came back and just... I mean, Looted. honestly, if I was hiking and I found this random knife, I would totally take it, so... Totally. Especially if I'm a mountaineer and wanting to survive, I would totally take an extra knife. So, as definitely previously mentioned, they noticed that the branches of the trees had been cut and broken up to five meters high. A lot of people think that somebody was attempting to climb the trees and find their camp to regather their supplies, or maybe they're just trying to get their bearings on the terrain. But given the previous statements that I just said, I think that they were not broken from climbing. I think they were just broken because they needed to make a fire. And then after reading some more statements, I think it's pretty impossible that they could have been broken by climbing because Captain Chernoshkiv 
states that these limbs could easily hold up a human body without breaking unless they were dry, cut, or had some other extreme force. Like, just climbing up it isn't going to break them. You'd have to, like, jump and, like, land on them. You know what I mean? Some kind of inertia there. I I swear I don't have so many quotes, but this particular part where they find this fire is very interesting. Uh, Another searcher who found the bodies, uh, last name of Koptlov, um, stated, quote, while looking carefully around the area, Mikhail noticed something dark close to the cedar tree. There was a flat area next to the cedar, and on this were the remains of a fire. About two or three meters from the fire, they found Yuri D. frozen without his clothes and with his hand burned. And a little to the side of them of him, they found Yuri 2.0 in the same state. Under, under Yuri D's body, there were three or four cedar branches of about the same thickness. End quote. On the same day, on February 27th, between the forest where that cedar tree was and the camp, they found more corpses. Um, these two in particular ended up being the leader Igor and Zenadia. Zenadia, yeah, that's better. They were found in poses suggesting that they were moving or crawling in the direction of the abandoned tent. This, in my opinion, suggests that maybe the tree climbing... If there were tree climbing and it just didn't break the branches because it supported them, was a success and they were able to get their bearings and figure out where the campsite was and try to return to get some of their gear. Due to weather conditions in the area, unfortunately, that's all that they were able to find in late February. However, they did keep searching, which is fucking crazy to me, and on March 5th, they found a fifth body, which was Rustum, who was found close to Igor and Zaneda. The odd thing about this trio of bodies is that they weren't together like the first two. They were a few meters apart from each other. One was 300 meters, which is 980 feet. The next one was about 580 or no, 480 meters, which is 1570 feet. And then the third one, the last one was found 630 meters from the second one, which is about 270 feet. Nope, that's not right. 2,070 feet. So this suggested, sadly, that they had tried to continue even as they seemed to be slowly dying off or giving up on their ventures, you know? Right. Um, so after that, a legal inquest started, and the first four bodies, first four bodies had their autopsies on March 4th, and Rustum's was on March 8th. I'm really quickly going to go into their bodies right now do 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 okay so we're going to talk about yuri d first um his injuries consist of i already mentioned that he was burned and so his hair was burned on the right side of his head his ear nose and lips were covered in blood he had a swollen upper lip his right cheek um soft tissue was covered with gray foam and he had gray liquid coming out of his mouth most apparent cause of this, according to the pathologist, was uh, fluid acclimation in the tissue and air spaces of the lungs, which the foamy gray fluid that was found on the right cheek started speculations that before death, something or someone was pressing on his chest cavity. And this is where theories start to get involved, where people are claiming that this method is common for interrogation by the NKVD, which is the which is Stalin's secret police apparently. But I mean it also could have been that they were buried by snow. I don't know. You don't really know what's going on. Snow's not white. 
but that is noted. He's the only one that had this gray fluid coming out of his mouth, so it is kind of weird. Um, the inner surface of his right shoulder had abrasions with no bleeding in the tissues, and there were two cuts on his skin as well. The right armpit had a bruise. There were also bruises on his upper right forearm. He had swelling and abrasions on his right hand. He had a bruise with bleeding uh, into the soft tissue in the back of his right hand. The soft tissues in both of his hands, fingertips, and toes were severely frostbitten. And if Yuri D had survived these injuries, he would have required, as a lot of his mountaineer mates, they would have required amputation of all of his toes and fingers. He also had left elbow abrasions and his left forearm, the surface of the skin was covered with dry blood, and he had also bruises um, on both of his shin bones. Experts described the injuries, the bruises and the abrasions, like all of those non-life-threatening things that I just listed out um were consistent with him trying to hit himself with rocks and ice and other like surrounding objects like trying to keep himself awake or trying to make him feel something because his body is probably going numb i have no idea and his death according to what they state is about 68 hours after his last meal which we have no idea of if that was from the night of the first when this is supposed to have happened or if it was days after because they seem to have survived some amount of time but i don't know if what kind of food they would have found unfortunately it doesn't tell you what kind of food it was you know what i mean yeah um so then we go into yuri 2.0 his body um was also like the first two yuris were discovered underneath a cedar tree and their underwear he has a hell of a lot more injuries. So I'm going to try to quickly go over these. He had bruises on his forehead. He had bleeding in his right temporal and occipital region. um, And he had damage to the muscle that runs along the skull to, like, on the side of your skull. It basically is what opens and closes your mouth. Right. Um, He had a bruise to his left Temporal bone, I already said, oh, I said the right. He had, the tip of his nose was missing, and the, no traces of blood around it must mean that it happened post-mortem, which they believe was possibly by animals, since he was the one that was found face up. Um, his ears were frostbitten, the portion of his outer layer of skin from his right hand was found in his mouth, and the back of his right hand was swollen, and his fingers were frostbitten. The palm of his right hand was also swollen, and it was cut with it looked like it was cut with jagged edges at the base of his thumb in the middle of his fingers he had four to five wounds with hard edges and a charred surface he uh, there's a detachment of the top layer of skin on the back of his left hand he had abrasions on his right side of his chest he had um, abrasions in the middle clavicle line on the edge of the rib and the right side and he also had abrasions on his wrist. The back of his left hand was swollen. His butt was swollen. Like, his left butt, to be precise. He had several... He had three cuts with sharp edges on the upper left thigh. And he had three wounds with sharp corners in the inner of his left hip. He also had abrasions on his femur and tibia which the tibia is the your shin bone, and he had abrasions on his inner left thigh, and he had a burn area on his foot that was basically on the outer surface of his leg. 
the outer layer of his skin was peeling back from his left foot, and that was probably, I'm assuming, from the fact that his leg and his foot, like, his toes were burned. Yeah, gross. So, the that's it. That's all for his injuries. The presence of skin between his teeth that was torn from his hand might suggest that um, Yuri 2.0 had tried to stay in the cedar tree for as long as he could and tried to awaken his responsive hands by biting himself or that he was, like, stifling a cry or something. Mm. But, yeah, he, like, bit off the tip of his finger, basically, trying to do that. So, on top of the fact that he bit off part of his finger and they think that he was in a tree. I think they believe he was in the tree because of the wounds that he had on, like, his hip and stuff right. like that. He had a lot of abrasions, like, on his legs and stuff. So that, I feel like they probably thought was consistent with climbing a tree and falling a lot, maybe. I don't know. Sense. But they had to have something to make, to believe that he was up in a tree doing these things. Um, also, different articles of clothing were simply cut from Yuri D and Yuri 2.0's bodies. So that might explain some of the cut wounds that he right, had. Right. They probably were a little bit more gentle the first time. And then when they were like, okay, we've got to hurry up. We're fucking cold. Sure. Um, so that would make sense to me. Yeah. Also, this clearly showed that they had a will to live. They were in a conscious mind. So like the hypothermia idea, the, what is it called? I wrote it somewhere in my notes, so I'll, talk, I'll call it the right thing eventually. But taking the clothes off because they felt warm, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be, I wouldn't say an issue, but it doesn't seem to be the, what happens here. Like, sure. all of them are very, besides these two bodies, are very well right, clothed. Right. So, um, there, it also shows that there was, like, no state of panic except for, like, maybe rushing to cut the clothes off. Um, and then they, the bodies were cl- carefully laid side by side with their possessions like, as close to them as possible. So that clearly shows some type of respect for their dead friends. So next, we're going to go to Igor. When he was found, he was wearing an unbuttoned sleeveless fur vest. And this apparently belonged to Yuri 3.0. And the case files and Yuri state that he left it to... I'm sorry, that Yuri 3.0 left it to Alexander. Then... He was saying, oh, no, I left it to Yuri D. So it's like, either way, no matter who he left it to or not, it wasn't Igor. So it's like the fact that Igor okay. was found with his clothing is kind of weird. Right. Um, but honestly, when Yuri D died, if that was who he gave it to and they were taking his clothes, that makes sense why he was wearing his yep. vest. Um, Again, he was found with no shoes, and they found in his shirt pocket, they, he had four pills of streptocide, which is an anti-inflammatory agent used for wound infection. So he was conscious enough, I guess that was wearing what he was right. wearing whenever it happened, but sure. I'm sure that they probably used that since they were injured, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. So, I just play one on TV. I do. I play one on a podcast. Um, <laughs> his injuries include minor abrasions on the forehead and his upper eyelids. He also had um, some on his left eyebrow and on both of his um, facial cheeks. And then he had dried blood on his lips. Both ankles had um, abrasions with hemorrhage to the underlying tissue. And then he had a single incision on his right chin. And... Many scratches, like small scratches on the lower third of his forearm and palm surface. Um, he also had bruises on his right hand that were very common in what you'd see in people who fight. 
and punch something. So that's interesting. He had also superficial wounds to the second and fifth finger on his left hand. So that would be like your pointer finger and your ring finger. Cool. I think. Is that how you count your fingers when you're a medical doctor? I don't know. I would think because like your thumb would be one. <laughs> Anyways, if I'm wrong, I'm so sorry. So maybe it wasn't like a fighting thing. Maybe it was just those, maybe, maybe he was right-handed and punched something. I don't know. Sure. Um, but it's noted that there were no internal injuries for him or the two Yuris. So now we move to Zaneda. She um had wounds to her right frontal uh, I don't know what that means eminence no idea cool I googled all the words that I didn't know and apparently that was the one I missed um basically I think it has something to do with her eyes or around her eyes because next to it I put and upper eyelids okay <laughs> I don't know um there's a pale gray area above her right eyebrow and then there was a graze on the bridge of her nose and then she had abrasions to her cheekbone and bruises on the right side of her face. And she also had abrasions on the back of both hands. And there was jagged wound edges um, and missing skin on the back of her right hand and the base of her third finger. And then, obviously, like the others, her fingers were frostbitten and her the right side of her lower torso had a bruise that was shaped like people compared to a baton. So kind of like that straight, flat edge. So, I mean, I think it also could have been, I don't know, an eight-meter cedar branch. That makes sense, doesn't it? I know, it? I know. Pretty smart sometimes. No, but it was a baton. No, it was a baton. The, I think that comes up because of the theories that I'll talk about later with, like, what I said before about Stalin's secret police. Like, these were their tactics, and maybe they had batons and killed all these people, you know, stuff like that. Next, we're discussing Rustam, the fifth body that was found. He, um, he was wearing a watch, unlike the rest of them, apparently. This is the only one that I've noticed that there was a watch on him. Besides other ones I'm going to talk about, this is the first one, I guess I should say. <laughs> and, um, his watch stopped at 8.45 a.m. So, I don't know how watches work. Obviously, it's not like, uh... What is it? When we talked about Xavier Dupont with his wife. Right. When she had that... Oh, what is it called? Sleep apnea mask? Right, right, right. Where it, like, records when it stops working. That's not how a watch works unless he had an Apple watch in 1959. So I don't know if it just got too cold. <laughs> I don't know. But it's noted that his watch stopped at 8.45 a.m. And he had hemorrhages in the muscles that were on the right side of his face, which is the same as, um, I don't remember which Yuri, but the ones, the muscle that opens and closes your mouth. Right, right. Um, he also had abrasions on his forehead. He had a bruise on his, um upper lid with an eye hemorrhage to the underlying tissues. He had traces of blood discharge from the nose, which is maybe from the right eye hemorrhage, I think. Um, and that then, makes sense. Yeah. And then swelling and a, lot of, and a lot of small abrasions on both sides of his face. Both of his hands were bruised, very similar, like um, Igor's were, like he had been in a fight. And then there were also bruises on his left arm and left palm. He also had swollen lips, bruises on the left side of his shin. The upper layer of his skin was torn from the right forearm. And he had a fracture of the frontal bone, hmm. which they talk about, or I talk about later, but that is noted that it is a, he does have a traumatic injury. Um, and then on Yuri D., 
and um, Yuri 2.0. Who's slow in it? Oh, Rustum. And Rustum. They, their liver mortis spots were on the top surface of their body, which is like what you were talking about, fluids collecting in your body. Mm-hmm. So when you are flat on a surface, the way you die, you're it's almost like blood pooling, that your blood and stuff collects at that part because of gravity. So they that was on the surface of their body, but when they were found, they were upside down. So they were facing down. No, just kidding. That was how they would have died if that was... Up. So they were facing up. Correct. So... So they have been moved. So, yeah. The, before they had been found, and when they died, they had been moved. But by animals? So that is where it gets kind of controversial. Not like all of this isn't controversial, <laughs> but um, I think personally that especially if their friends were trying to respect them, maybe they had come back flipped them. and flipped them. Be yeah. like, oh fuck! I mean, they're dead. Why are Why are they face down? You know, because they I had, would do that. Yeah, right. So that's what I'm thinking. That maybe if they had come back and found them, yeah. they would have been like, oh, totally trying to flip them back around. Especially if they, especially Rustum, because he was walking towards camp. Especially Igor, because he was walking towards camp. Yeah. And, I mean, you don't. I don't know when Yuri 2.0 died because Yuri D was. Or I, I think I'm switching them. One of them was found face up, and the other one wasn't. So maybe the others just were preoccupied in the time that he had died and then found him and flipped him. I don't know. Again, this is one of those things where, like, this is all going to be speculation. But let's get back to the show. (laughs) Um, So, like I said, Rostam did have a small crack in his skull, but it was concluded not to be a fatal wound. It was just a fracture. And it is presumed to be caused by somebody that's hit in the head by someone or something not of great force. So... I have no idea what would cause that, but I can't imagine it'd be, like, getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer. It'd right. be, like, getting hit in the head with a cedar branch. Sure. Um, but the medical examination for all five of these bodies... I feel rude saying bodies, but I don't, I'm running out of adjectives here. People? People. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> for all of these bodies led that their deaths were officially ruled as hypothermia. Like, they had no other injuries that would have caused... Any death. extent of damage that would have been a cause of death, right. except for hypothermia. So, back in the area where the fire was found and where that cedar tree is, the search teams ventured further into the woods, about 75 meters. And around this time, one manzi man was with his dog, just, I guess, hanging out, and they noticed that they, they noticed the cut branches and the trees had made, like, a trail. And so he and rescuers followed this trail, and eventually they found like, articles of clothing as they got closer and closer to this ravine. Hmm. And then they found even more clothes by the time they got to the ravine. And they started to dig through the hard-packed snow. This was on May 4th. And so this was, like, two months after they had been originally found. So a lot of the snow had started to melt, but it still wasn't enough to, like, melt it all. I imagine that this isn't an area that gets rid of snow very quickly. So... Well, no, the average temp is zero. Right, so, yeah. No. So, the at the time, the accumulation of the snow was four meters, which is 13 feet. Jeez. So, they still had a lot to kind of sift through. 
So they got to this ravine and they found these articles of clothing and they started to dig and eventually they found the remaining four bodies. Three of the four were more clothed than the others and as to be expected, as some some of the friends unfortunately passed away, the survivors took their clothes to try to survive the freezing temperatures, um, such as Lenelia. I'm going to fuck up her name every time. I'm so sorry. Lenelia tried to... Um, or she was wearing two Yuri 2.0's trousers that were burned and torn, and her lower left leg were wrapped in a torn jacket that somebody else had been worn in. Damn. So, like, I wonder if they also ripped the clothing to try to share it amongst each other. Because a lot of the autopsies stated that though they were wearing multiple layers of socks, there were also, like, sleeves of sweaters that were pulled over their feet to try to keep Hell them yeah. warm. I yeah, do that. They're super smart. They, uh, it breaks my heart that they didn't survive right. this, because they thought of some pretty ingenious shit. Yeah. So then there was obviously an examination of the last four bodies. So first, we are going to be talking about the woman's name, who I am struggling to pronounce. I'm so sorry. Ludmila. She had, um, the soft tissues were missing around her eyes, eyebrows, her nose, her left cheek, and the bone was partially exposed. Her eye sockets were empty, and that obviously means that her eyeballs were missing. She had damaged tissue around the left temporal bone, and her nose cartilages had been broken and flattened. Her soft tissue on her upper lip was missing, teeth in her upper jaw was exposed, her tongue was missing... Her top part of her ribs on the right side had two fractures that were visible. And then on the left side, almost every single one of her bone, her ribs were broken with two fracture lines that were also visible. So basically, like you can see in this picture that like fracture lines were here. And then the other one I believe is on the other side where it bends. Huh. Yeah, so it's like something came in and like almost yeah. like punched out a section sure. of their ribs right. or her ribs. So also with the autopsy, they found that she had a massive hemorrhage in the heart's right atrium and bruises in her middle thigh. It's noted that her stomach contained about 100 grams of dark brown mucosal mass, which is basically coagulated blood. And it is... So she's bleeding yeah, internally. Yeah, so it is basically Damn. assumed that her heart was still beating and the blood was flowing when she received those internal injuries to, I'm sure, her heart's atrium. And then also they think that I... I kind of doubt this just because I'm a professional doctor with a doctorate, but they... The, not true. That's not true. It's it's definitely not true. I'm being a fictitious fuck. But this website claims that, and they have, like, fucking quotes and, like, all of these reports that are from the actual crime, so it's like, a pathologist had to have said this one time or another, but they think that when her tongue was removed, she was still alive and basically ingesting that blood. That makes no sense. I mean, it was found in her stomach. The blood was found in her stomach. You can... So what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying that that's what it says. Also, yeah, that the fractured multiple ribs and the right atrium of the heart being punctured also led to that internal bleeding. So I don't know. I'm not a doctor, unlike what I just claimed. (laughs) Um... So now we're going to Semyon. He, which I think is Alexander 2.0. So he 
doesn't have as many injuries. His eyeballs are missing. He is missing soft tissue around his left eyebrow and the bone is exposed. He had a massive wound on the right side of his skull with exposed bone. And he also had a flail chest, which was basically because he had five broken ribs on the right side uh, and two fracture lines. So it's very similar to Lidmaria. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. Oh, I'm such a shithead. She, like, it's, like, right here along his sternum is broken, and then right on the outside, like, under where his arm would be is broken. So, like, that huge part of his ribs is just caved in. Yep. Which, owie. Yucky. Um, super yucky. Have you ever seen that? No. No, Ooh. I have not. I don't really want to, personally. No? Mm-mm. Nope. I can't imagine it's the funnest. But he doesn't have his quite as an extent of injuries here. Um, so then we go into Alexander 1.0, where I wrote a lot in here. So let's see what I wrote. He um, had a lack of soft tissues around his eyes. His eyebrows were missing. His skull bones were exposed. He had a possibly broken nose because it was like flat, but they really couldn't tell if it was just because of the missing tissue or like what it right. was because his other skull bones were exposed. He also had a wound by his ear and he had a deformed neck. And they said that this was similar to it being snapped. So I know that, again, this feeds into the theories that the ear wound and the neck injury are compared to kill tactics of trained fighters. I don't know what wound injury that you would put into someone's ear. Maybe, like, I don't know. Like, you know, there's like a pressure point down there. Yeah. But I don't know. Down there, it's like on your head. <laughs> um, he had bleeding in the underlying tissues of his left knee, and he had soft white skin on his fingers and feet, kind of like um, when you're in water for too long, you kind of get that weird raisin look. Yeah. Yeah. And then his overall skin color was like a green-gray with like a tinge of purple. So this is the first autopsy that I'm reading that they had like extreme color discoloration for like his whole body. Everybody else was like parts of the body, which makes sense when it comes to like frostbite. But for like his whole body, it's kind of interesting to me. And then we go to Nikolai. He was wearing two watches at the time of his death. And um, one stopped at 8.14 in the morning and the other one stopped at 8.39 in the morning. So I think it's very interesting that his stopped at the same time as the other guy's watch. I don't know, again, if it was just so cold that mm. they just stopped working or, like, maybe there were winding watches, which I think would be really interesting to yeah. plan out and see how long they would have lasted before windings. I don't know. Um, his injuries consist of multiple fractures to the temporal bone with extensions to the frontal and um, the cephnoid bones, which is, like, the bone right behind your eye. He had a bruise on his upper left lip and hemorrhage in his lower forearm. So, not as extreme as the others, but... Definitely not fun to have. Right. So, those four, only one of them has a cause of death of hypothermia. The other three that had those traumatic injuries that I talked about, um, Lodmila and Nikolai and Alexander 2.0, they're the ones that died of traumatic injuries. The testimony accessible that I've been kind of reading to you guys a little bit is partially or majorly done by one forensic pathologist and he does a testify basically does a statement for the case his name is boris i'm not going to try to pronounce his last name it starts with a v vazraz denny vazraz denny 
That wasn't as far as I thought. So Boris states that Nikolai's major skull damage could have been the result of throwing, like major like throwing his body or like a fall or like a jettisoning of the body, which I didn't know what that was. So I had to look it up. And that's basically like when you're like in an airplane and you're like falling. Ow. Mm-hmm. Like it was that major of damage right. that they thought that he had like an extreme fall. And it wouldn't have been caused by falling from his own height. And so Nikolai had also a broken fornix and had extensive depressed multi-splintered fracture at the base of his skull that was consistent with the impact of a car at a high rate of speed, which we find is very consistent with the other two, Lyudmila and Alexander 2.0. Boris continues to state about Nikolai that he could have shown signs of life for two to three hours after this injury, but because of the trauma to his head, Nikolai had a severe concussion. So he was unconscious. He wouldn't have been able to move himself. So that would have been basically impossible for him to get out of that tent if that's where the injury had happened. So if he had assistance, he would have had to have been dragged or carried out, which given what the researchers, not researchers, the rescuers found, the eight to nine footprints, it makes sense to me that there were eight footprints because somebody had to have carried Nikolai. There's no way that even with somebody holding him up, he would have been able to walk. So that's what I think. But again, who am I? So when Boris was questioned about Ludmila's and Alexander's injuries, Boris states that she had multiple fractures to her ribs that were bilateral and symmetrical, which I kind of talked about, whereas Alexander, his rib fractures were on one side. So they both had internal hemorrhaging and to the cardiac muscle, which led to the pleural cavity. Um, This evidence that this is evidence that they were alive when they were injured. And just like Nikolai, they didn't have any damage to their soft tissue, which suggests that the cause of their injuries would have been similar to Nikolai's or the same type of trauma that comes with the shock wave of a bomb. So kind of like that high velocity, kind of like sudden impact. Boris then states that with these injuries, um, Ludmila would have lived anywhere from a short time of 10 to 20 minutes after her injuries. I'm going... That would be miserable. So miserable. I, I'm going to talk about that in a second because I, I have problems with that. With my expert opinion. Um, but he states that she would have been conscious and it's like similar to when somebody gets like stabbed in the knife or the heart. Or like you said when I was telling you about this, like Selena, when she died or was, had gotten injured from her wounds, she was running around. She was able to talk. She was able to try to get help, but that blood is still pumping and you're basically bleeding out and you're like, it's, I feel like, and if I were to do this, which I don't know, cause I've never been stabbed in the heart. I feel like I wouldn't think it's that serious because I can still move. I can still talk. And I mean, shit, it probably fucking hurts. But like, I would think that like, hey, I'm okay because I'm still able to breathe and stuff. Right. So it kind of, I feel like it was due to that false it's reassurance. False hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Alex could have, Alexander could have lived longer, but he couldn't give, Boris couldn't give an exact time as to when that would be unlike Nikolai and Ludmila. So this is where I start to dispute what, the time frame for Ledmila was, um, it, she was wearing Yuri 2.0's trousers, so that means that she was alive long enough to survive him, and unless he died in five minutes, which is very likely with hypothermia, um, I don't think that, 
I th personally, I think he would have outlived her with a 10 to 20 minutes because they were able to create a fire. They were able to cut down trees, like branches, like all of these things. And if she was only supposed to live for 20 minutes, there's no way she would have seen the fire. And there's no way that she would have been able to steal his pants that were burned from the fire to wear. And then when she was found in the ravine, she was leaning up against a rock. And so, like, unless somebody's dragging her body all around to all these places and still, like, covering her with people's clothing like thinking she's alive somehow and just dragging her along it just doesn't make sense to me how yeah. she got that far with only a time of expectancy of 20 minutes to survive right. so i don't i don't know i'm not a doctor again so maybe they ended up maybe there was some weird attachment with her and they were like we have to take her to the end and maybe they thought that this happens a lot with 911 where people call in cardiac arrest we start doing cpr because they're like they're they're breathing, but it's not normal or something like that. No, they've been dead for like 12 hours. Yeah. People kind of see what they want to see in an amount of distress. Totally. And no matter how much these guys were trained, I don't know if for some reason for her, they were like, she's still breathing. We just have to bring her Trauma along. Trauma does weird stuff. I know. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with her. I just don't think that that 10 to 20 minutes is, for some reason, I don't feel like that's right. Does that make mm. sense? Like what yeah. I'm trying to say though? Yep. But again, I am not a doctor. What is very interesting is that how all of these nine people were young, healthy, fit, and strong, and so well-trained that they were even able to survive long enough to do anything. And also, whatever happened to them, they were calm and collected enough to carry someone out of their tent, or at least what we're assuming, um, escape to what they thought would offer shelter in the forest, get a fucking fire going, cut down all of those trees to get the fire going, um, have the idea to go back to the tent to gather their supplies and route book, and return home eventually. Their yeah. skills were just, right. like, there. They were just put up against some really bad circumstances, in my opinion. I think you're understanding where my theory No, they were just lays. super well-trained. When you're well-trained and you go through something traumatic or something that, you know, high adrenaline, high pressure, yeah. you fall back on... Your training right and especially and if it it's like, like routine training that. yeah yeah shit that they've done before they were a grade three at a young age right so so good for them on this um website that i'm using for like 99 percent of my research um there are also radiograms which are essentially radio telegrams that are available to see they're very interesting i think it's super cool and if you read i'm assuming russian i think it'd even, be even better. better yeah because they have actual pictures of them oh it's so cool some of these, for me, is interesting what seemed like searchers, they had a hard time convincing higher-ups or military or whoever was in charge to take the bodies out. They had a hard time convincing them to actually take the fucking bodies. At least not the first set, I think. I think they were kind of like, okay, they died of natural causes. But once they, like, really searched into it and found the rest of them, they're just kind of like, like yeah, then they were like, oh, this is getting weird um, <laughs> we don't want to be involved. Yeah. So the transcripts for the radiograms, basically there's one person who's listed as Ortyakov. He was stating that they were required to have the bodies wrapped in waterproof covers and sewn to prevent contamina contamination. And they had to be in zinc boxes as well as coffins and that they should, that should be like, enough, but there was still, like, a lot of back and forth about, like, they're not going to be contained well enough, they're not going to, like, we're not going to do this unless for sure we're not going to fuck up this evidence. Sure. Which I, I mean, I recommend, I or not recommend, but I, like, yeah, on my professional sense. opinion. 
It makes sense. But I can understand being the rescuers being like, it took 12 of our men just to carry one body out of this fucking forest. Fucking take them. Like, yeah. they're just sitting here. Yeah. We're staring at this dead body, dude. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, like, evidence aside, like, bring them home. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. So I can understand the frustrations. Um, I don't really know how long it took for them to finally get the bodies taken away, but it was enough to send a couple radiograms about it. So then upon further investigation of their campsite, this showed that one to two people left the tent on February 1st um, to probably use the restroom and relieve themselves. It is assumed that these two people were Nikolai and Alexander 2.0, since they were better dressed of the group when found. So they're thinking that they woke up at like 2 a.m., you know, they're like, hey man, I gotta, I gotta pee. Do you gotta pee? Yeah. Let's bundle up and go take a, right. take a piss. It's theorized that they were outside of the tent when whatever incident happened. Yeah, so maybe they're lucky, maybe they weren't. Obviously they weren't because they're dead. But, so, let's talk about this den that they made that was by the ravine that the last four made to survive, or at least what we're assuming the last four made to survive. It was 70 to 75 meters away from the fire was, and it was built hidden from the cold wind, which was a common way to survive winters during the war, apparently, um, which makes investigators think that this was an idea from Alexander 2.0 because he was prior military, and so was Igor, I think. And this also gives investigators the idea that they were sane enough to come up with this plan and that they were waiting for their three friends that were going back to the camp to come back. Right. So... Yeah, come back, They go get to the campsite, get, go to the mountain, get help, whatever, get supplies. And then it makes it seem like they're, that Yuri D and Yuri 2.0 died at the fire, and so they kind of realize, like, we like we can't fuck around. We need to figure something out now, right. because we're all going to die if yeah. we don't. So they had, they really, really, really tried. Yeah. So now I'm going to tell you about a real doctor's opinion about hypothermia. I'm just kidding. She's not a doctor. Um, <laughs> she's going to kill me that I said that. No, she is a coworker that I work with, and she is she just passed her EMT test. So I just asked her a really quick question about a lot of the autopsies. It said that they had this much fluid in their bladder, which means that they most likely died from hypothermia. I was like, what the fuck does your bladder have to do with you freezing to death? And according to her, your body, when it's in that state of shock dealing with hypothermia, it wants to hold everything in. Like, it wants to hold your sweat, your piss apparently and everything just to keep yourself like i don't know so there was one i believe it was yuri d that had a low amount of fluid in his bladder and so they were kind of like that's kind of weird with hypothermia but again like i don't know how much he drank before then and also when you can't create it right you can't just make fluid so maybe he He just as hydrated as he was right also what i'm thinking is that there was the vodka not saying that they shouldn't have done this. Like, obviously, they're going to have fun. Who doesn't want to drink some fucking liquor? As long as you do it responsibly. But <laughs> this could have led to them dying of hypothermia quicker. Yeah, totally. So that makes me sad. And also, according to my doctor coworker, who's not a doctor, she said that with the temperatures that I told her about, you can, like, maximum without anything to help you survive, like, an hour. Isn't that so awful? They obviously survived longer than an hour, because I feel like it takes just an hour right. to cut down all those tree branches. Right. they weren't butt-ass naked. Yeah, and they weren't butt-ass naked, and they were smart. So, it just kind of makes me sad that... Apparently, in water, you can die in five minutes of hypothermia. So, Ooh. 
that's fucked. Uh, just water cold fucked. So that's what it's called. It's called Paradox Undressing. All of them being dressed by the time that they were found dead, or at least the surviving ones, or the longest surviving ones, that kills the Paradox Undressing theory that they, they very consciously kept their clothes on and took clothes from their deceased friends to survive and cut pieces of clothes to come up with, like, leg warmers and foot warmers and mittens, anything to, like, try to keep them alive. Um, Investigators also determined that they took some of these branches that they broke off to create something, like, a boundary between their bodies and the freezing snow. So, that's fucking ingenious. They were also smart enough to do this tactic where they would apparently wear or switch out their clothes from right side in to inside out. And apparently trained mountaineers do this um, to attempt to dry their clothes as they're, like, frozen or something. Which I would think would just make you colder. But, I mean, obviously this is something that they do, so it must work. I don't understand the logistics about it. A couple more fucked up things about this. Alexander 2.0 apparently had a pencil and notepad in his hand when rescuers found his body, but died before he could write anything down. So, again, it's that conscious of our effort of, like, I need to say something about what's happening, but then just not being able to. Yeah. And then Alexander and Alexander 2.0 died holding each other, assumed to be attempts to keep each other warm, which makes me think they were the last two to mm-hmm. be alive. Because otherwise I feel like it'd be all four of them yeah. bubbled together. It is also reported that Alexander 2.0 was found with a camera around his neck, which is odd to Yuri 3.0, the one that left, because he knew of four cameras that were being used by the team, and those were all found in the tent. So everyone is wondering where this fifth camera came from, but also it's like, am I supposed to show you all of my luggage? every single thing that you're carrying. Yeah. Right. And then they just thought it was extra weird you're because Alexander... That's weird. Right. He already had a camera that he was using, so they're like, oh, why'd you bring a second camera? Maybe he wanted to take a lot of pictures. Yeah. They didn't have iPhones back there with, yeah. like, unlimited storage. Right. So, come on. Yeah. Um, but sadly, even though he had this camera on him, it was... Like, the film was unusable. It was water damaged. So pretty fucked up and sad because it might have had some answers um it is also worth noting that even though these four had a quote warm shelter none of their bodies were found in that shelter so i'm wondering if maybe they had just poked out to try to see if they could see where their friends were or maybe were like i'm gonna go grab something real quick or i don't know what tools you would need to survive so maybe somebody was like i'm gonna go get the water from the ravine and do something with i don't know but it makes me even sad that they had this shelter and something made them leave and that's possibly how they died. Right. Um, so, now that I've talked for like 600 years, I'm going to go into the theories. I'm going to keep this a little bit short just because I have one theory that I want to talk about, which is the solution to all of this. But it's fun to talk about the things that people thought about before now. First, a lot of people claimed that they, this group was killed by the Manzies, who we talked about. The idea is that the hikers entered the Manzie hiking or hunting area and they were killed for it. Um, the Manzies were noted to have a chum, which is like their tent or teepee, um, that was about 200 feet away from the group's tent, which is apparently also where there was a trail that connected the two. So, I mean, I don't know. There, I don't see, I don't, there wasn't any reports of there being footprints that were on the trail. I don't know. But honestly, right. if I were native to the area and I just found this abandoned tent, I would just probably walk away. Right. I probably wouldn't care because they didn't think anything was taken from the tent. And obviously nothing was because there was shit that was still left behind. 
And there's, again, no ap- absolutely no evidence to back this up. None of the deceased had any wounds to suggest that they were attacked, except for those bruises on their knuckles, like fighting-style bruises. Right. Um and also, the Manzi aren't reported to be violent, and during this time, they hadn't had any, like, crimes that they had been committed of, at least for the past, like, three decades. They just kind of, like, did their thing, and okay. I can't blame them. Um, when the Manzi was interviewed about the incident, they basically blamed it on the golden orbs in the sky, which I will explain in a second, so I think... We'll get an answer to that, at least. The second theory is the Yeti theory. Apparently, one of the group had written in their journals that, quote, now we know snowmen exist, end quote. There was nothing else about it, basically, though. But they, the group, or basically people think that the group was attacked by Yeti and scared out of their tent, and then that's how they died. But again, none of the deceased had any wounds that would suggest that there was an attack. Oh, that's basically it. But, and... So the Yeti claims are backed by eyewitness accounts of Yetis living in the northern Ural Mountains, which is where they were. Um, similar to the last theory, doesn't really hold up for me. Okay. Like, I don't know if yeah. Yeti attacks, but I sure. feel like I would be clawed to shit or, like, bitten sure. or something. Right. So next theory is that Alexander 2.0, Alexander K, and Yuri 2.0 were in the KGB. And they, this theory comes from a book called Yatlov Pass by Alekiski Rakulin, Rakutin. Um, and it's theories that they were actually on a KGB mission to undercover CIA agents. And they had to deliver radioactive samples, which I didn't mention this, they're there were certain articles of clothing that had some radioactivity to them, but nothing, like, crazy. There was just, like, some. Yeah. But also, they tested it after the clothing had been washed, so they are like, how much of it had gotten washed away? Whatever. So, that would explain maybe why there was radioactivity on their clothing, but while they did that, they were supposed to photograph these American agents, and, um, which may also explain that secret camera that he, Yuri 2, or I'm sorry, Alexander 2.0 had with him. Um, but something ended up going wrong and CIA agents ended up killing the group. And this and other military-related theories are, like, super supported by the fact that the investigation was classified. And no one knew any facts relating to the death of their loved ones. Like, Russia, or I guess the Soviet Union, classified this incident very quickly very fast, and it has only become, hmm. like, within, like, a decade or so, like, that they, that. Were, yeah, they, like, super, like, put it undercover, also, and they were, like... Also, it's the Soviet Union, so. Right. That's my thing, is that they're probably, like, look, it was an avalanche, we're done. Yeah. Anyways, it's the Soviet Union. What do we expect? The... Another theory is that they had been mistaken as a group of fugitives because of the nearby prison camps. And this theory is brought to you by servicemen of the area. I guess the people that worked in the camps. I don't really know what servicemen mean, but I can't imagine in, like, average of zero degree weather that you're just hanging out. No. Mm -hmm. This is kind of self-explanatory about being fugitives from a prison camp and being killed and found. But, um... I guess there were several prison camps in the area, but they none of them had reported any um, anyone escaping from their facilities. So this is kind of like... Debunked. Debunked. But also, would they report that? Or would they just say like... I don't know. Oops, I guess we miscounted the first day and there were actually 98 <laughs> people here. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't want to get in trouble, you know? First yeah. day on the job. 
So another theory is that the hikers heard an explosion from the military testing that was in the area, and they fled into the cold and died because they were scared. And that also might be if something had landed too close to them, that might explain that shock wave type injuries to them. I I don't. That's not my favorite theory, but that's one that I've heard a lot. Um, the also another one is the group possibly ingested mushrooms that the Manzi shaman would often use for like uh, shaman stuff, and. <laughs> The idea that these shrooms were toxic unless prepared correctly by, like, drying or whatever it said that I didn't really read. And this obviously made you hallucinate (laughs) if you ingested them and didn't die from the toxins. So that would kind of explain the strange actions that seemed to have happened. But, I mean, I don't know. I think that they were pretty aware of what was going on. And I think that they were pretty educated to be aware of what to or what not to eat. Yeah. Especially when... Um, Igor was talking about how they were in the area where there was the most snow. So, like, what mushroom grows, like, four yeah. feet out of the ground? But, again, what do I know? So, another major theory is that there's UFOs that took them and killed them or whatever. Obviously. Because that would make sense as to why there's traumatic injuries to them. Because aliens do weird shit, right? Um, <laughs> there's one photo that was uncovered by their camera that was out of focus and there seems to be, like, a bright light. This is where I do my eye roll because I don't, (laughs) people think that it's a UFO. I'm just kind of like sitting over here like, holy shit, like how many times have I taken a picture of something and like moved at just the right time where it makes the weirdest ass picture? I don't know, 1959, do they really have very good cameras? Film cameras, just like. This is the picture. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It gives you those circular shapes and stuff like that, but I don't know. I don't buy it. People think that these UFOs could have been mistaken as those military rockets because they were near that military testing site, and people in the area stated that those rockets came off as glowing or pulsing orbs, which is what I think the people of the Manzi tribe were seeing. So I think it's kind of similar. Like, I don't know if, like, Amish people are going to see, like, the latest technology and be like, oh my god, what is that? Yeah. Which I would imagine I would if I didn't use technology and I came suddenly right. into this world of technology and I was just like, what the fuck yeah. is that in your lap? Is that a, you call it a laptop? Because <laughs> it's top of your lap? Sure. <laughs> so I don't know if the Manzies are familiar with technologies like that. I I really honestly don't know and it's my ignorance. But maybe they just see these rockets and they think that they're... UFOs are right. people around the area think it's UFOs without sure. being really sure. The next phenomenon is that researchers think that it is known as the Carmen Vortex Street, which could have produced a terrifying sound and scared the hikers out of their tent. Um, this is backed with the mountain's unique topography, where the winds would make like snow tornadoes that could have hit their tent, which is why it could have been partially buried. These tornadoes could have caused uh, infrasound, which induces irrational fear for those who are exposed to it. This infrasound is literally the opposite of ultrasound. It is so low that we can't hear it, but it still affects us, to which like some of the symptoms would be like lack of sleep or loss of sleep, shortness of breath, and a sense of dread. So maybe they were just, like, fearful, cut themselves out of the tent. So it's like the Russian sleep experiment. Right. Got it. Oh, God. I can't believe you brought that up. So these two (laughs) ideas together, the, like, infrasound and the vortex idea, kind of interesting to me. 
the tent. It, it solves a lot of issues here, but it's not hitting the ballpark for me. So the next idea is that their stove in the tent to keep them warm could have... Um, Heard that one. Yeah, the vent could have gotten clogged up, and so then there was smoke yeah. that could have come into the tent, and they could have cut the tent open to try to ventilate it and get the fuck out of there. Who knows? And maybe the snow just came afterwards. Um, but they left in a panic, and we know the rest. They died. But it doesn't explain the traumatic injuries to right. me. The next that is super popular is the catabotic wind, which is when the wind comes down the slope where their tent was, which is at a 30 degree angle, which is kind of similar to walking upstairs. So kind of steep, but not too steep. This was flooded with cold air that brought the snow down onto them. I'm indifferent about that one. <laughs> also, there were theories that there was like fights going on, like some other group came in and then everybody started fighting. But again, doesn't explain the traumatic injuries. Yeah. But I mean... Honestly, if I were trying to stay awake and I bit off my own knuckle, I would be punching a tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there were also theories that these bruises on their fists happened before their death. So, like, maybe they were just being big, tough men and fucking around and be like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, play by it turns into real fight. Yeah. Into, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially since one of them they think had a broken nose, but they really weren't too sure. It might have been caused by a punch to the face. Who knows? There are literally so many other theories that I'm not going to talk about. Those are just the main ones that I think are, like, not the most likely. Some of them are most likely, but some of them are just super popular. But I am now going to talk about the theory that is now the solution. The theory of all theories. The theory of all theories that is the perpetrator. The one I woke you up with. Yeah, the one that you woke me up with. So, the theory of an avalanche has been tossed around since literally the moment they found the tent. Because the way that the tent is, right. it is very similar to an avalanche. But nothing else around the tent showed that there was an avalanche. And then the weather reports in the area were like, I don't know, this is very unlikely that there was an avalanche. So, people really dismissed the avalanche option, especially because only three of the nine were injured. If there was an avalanche, yeah. all of them would be injured, all of them would be buried, all of them would be dead. That's it. End of story. But the incident was reopened in 2009, and it was considered solved because of the avalanche. So they, like, Russia officially reopened it and said it's an avalanche. But they... People didn't like that. They, they didn't like it. They thought it was too easy, and they didn't like all of these weird things that were happening because they didn't really solve all of these little holes that I just said. Right. Like, there was really no evidence that there was an avalanche. However, scientists were like, hey, man... We've got to dig into this a little bit deeper. So there was one, especially from Sweden, that really dug into this. And another one, I don't know where he was from, so my bad. But they kind of started running their own trial and error experiments and found something that I can explain literally everything that happened to these people. Sick. Here we go. <laughs> it's called a slab avalanche, which is bizarrely small, delayed, and rare. Because another thing that they said, if they had, um, because they cut into part of the mountain snow to make sure their tent was flat because they did build it on this 90, or not 90, 30 degree angle, right. they disrupted part of the structure of the mountain. So if there was going to be an avalanche, it wouldn't have happened like three to nine hours afterwards was the idea. But this one is extremely delayed and it's extremely rare. And we're going to go into what proof they have to back it up. So, 
again, they weakened the surface for their tent, and with the catatonic wind, there was now a weakened structure. So that wind is bringing that snow down, and even though it wasn't snowing at the time, there was this weak base where the tent was, and they also believe... I, my thoughts are just scrambled right now, because I'm, like, <laughs> wanting to say everything at once, you know what yeah. I mean? So... The scientists believe that there was an ice block that was around 16 feet long that could have also been in the avalanche because it was, like, packed hard snow. So maybe it wasn't, like, all ice, but it was a big enough block that was 16 feet long, which would have been, like, the size of an SUV that came right down, right on top of the tent because they disturbed... That's where they cut out. Yeah, that's where they cut it out. So that... This type of size would have been more consistent with the traumatic injuries that three of the nine sustained. So one scientist, Johan Guam, was struck by the animators of Frozen. He, like, watched the movie and was so shocked by how accurately they depicted the movement of snow that he literally reached out to the creators and the animators of Frozen, and he was like yo, I gotta figure out how you did this. And they were like, sick, come over and we'll show you. So they literally showed him, they gave him the animation code for it, and he took that code and he tweaked it to match his needs, which was an actual avalanche and not just snow pretty falling or whatever. Um, I've never seen Frozen, so I don't, is there an avalanche in Frozen? Oh god, I don't know. Okay. That's my nephews. Cool. Sorry, guys. So (laughs) to do this, Guam needed... Guam. I don't know if that's how his name is pronounced. Guame? It's G-U-A-M-E. I don't know. I'm gonna say Guame. Um, and he had another scientist. There were several other scientists working with him, but they had to reach out to one other source. The auto industry. Which, as we learned from your hometown episode, they use cadavers to do a lot of their research, which will make sense in a second as to what they do exactly. So in a quote by one of the other scientists, Alexander Puzrin, uh, in National Geographic, he states, quote, we discovered that in the 70s, um, GM, um, General Motors, yeah. took 100 cadavers and broke their ribs. And by doing this, they were hitting them with different weights and different velocities, end quote. So GM did this in order to see what would happen during an accident so they could see how to make their vehicles safer and how to, like, accurately calibrate their seatbelts. Some cadavers that were used were braced with rigid supports and others weren't, which is a basic scientific method of, like, what is it called? Yeah, control groups and stuff like that. Um So Puzzrin and Guame took this information and literally ran with it with the coding that they had from Disney and the information they had from GM, they took that and they found that the campers, while on their mountain, they supported their bedding on top of their skis. And this this is something that they did with those branches in the den. So they were very well trained to do this because it keeps you from the snow. And it makes sense that they would do it again with the branches in the den. So unfortunately, because of that, there was that rigid support that they saw with those GM testings. So with so that just perfectly emulated what happened. Probably. Yeah. So with the snow code that they stole from Frozen, they demonstrate what that 16-foot block of heavy snow would do to the adventures while they were on the skis. And um, what happened after is speculation, but 
Puzrin states, quote, this is a story of courage and friendship, end quote. Their training allowed for them not to run from the tent, especially when part of it was smothered with by snow, including the entrance, which is why they had to cut themselves out, and three out of the nine were severely injured. I think also the fact that Alexander 2.0 and, um, I can't remember the other, Nikolai, Nikolai, I think, they were out leaving themselves while this happened. So I guarantee you, they probably helped dig their friends out yeah. and, like, coach them yeah. through, like, hey, like, you're just gonna need to cut yourselves out. This is yeah. where the least amount of snow is. Like, we sure. need to go. And then helped guide them out. Right. That would make sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. So the radiation also on their clothing could be explained from the thorium that was in their camping lanterns, which is also why I think it's a smaller amount in the, on all of their clothing, just on like right. some of their clothing, because it would probably just get on the outside layers. Right. Yeah. So it was basically done by a 16-foot 16 foot block of heavy snow or ice that just crashed down on their tent because they they weakened their support and like a lot of scientists or and adventurers that study avalanches and stuff and like do mountaineering have said like i've made this mistake before and i've never i will never do it again yeah it just makes me so sad because they were so close to that forest they could have just pitched a tent in the forest not have to dig into the mountain being ex- it just makes me sad that they were so trained but they didn't think they probably cut into the ice and they were waiting and waiting and waiting to see if anything happened and they're like well it must be good yeah. and then pitched their tent and yeah well they probably done it before too and it was like yeah i'm sure and i'm probably perfect conditions make that right but like the wind that they were doing they probably put themselves on the other side of where the wind was but that mm. wind probably went up the yep. fucking mountain and back down I know, it makes me so sad, but this makes sense to me. The avalanche makes sense. And if it only hit part of the tent, it makes sense why only a couple of them were injured versus the rest. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. That's Damn. it. That was so long. I'm so sorry. Oh, but... no, stop. That was awesome. <sighs> Badass. This is still, even after doing all the research, it's just like in the back of my head constantly. <laughs> Some of those pictures, if you guys want to see the dead body pictures... If you have a morbid fascination like me, do it. If you do not, and if you have a weak stomach, fucking don't. There's yeah. a couple of the pictures, especially since some of them are missing their eyes. They're they're creepy. Yeah. It's scary. And mm-hmm. I, like, told myself, I was like, I'm gonna have nightmares after this because yep. there's one of them. But you woke me up a couple times. I like, know. Hey. <laughs> Look at this Look face. At this. <laughs> Isn't this crazy? Like, they were so frozen that like their clothing and everything that they had on them had so much ice on them that they were like swollen obviously you swell after you die but once they thawed out like they looked normal for like a day and then they decompose like that yeah it was like crazy to see their bodies like a week after they had their autopsy just done totally different. it was just totally different because i'm sure that that water that finally got melted had fucked up their bodies so oh, much. Yeah. Like, water... Oh, totally. Water damage, like, I know, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Bananas. Super bananas. Well, I'm glad it's solved. I am, too, but I'm I also like sad. <laughs> I think a lot of people are still gonna think it's other stuff, because we don't like easy solutions. We like the crazy aliens, KGB stories, you know? I know. I know we really do, but it also just doesn't make any sense. This is the thing that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Totally. I don't don't know what else to tell you guys. If you don't believe in this slab avalanche, then 
shoot us an email with what you think happened with evidence that's going to be able to cover every single thing that happened like that, so. Damn. <laughs> Talk to us. Love it. Um, well. Wow. I just want to keep talking about it. I love it so much. We can go talk about it on the couch. Yeah. You're like, I'm over it. <laughs> no. How long have I been talking? You don't want to know. Is it like two hours long? Two and a half. Oh, no. <laughs> it's because I went into their autopsies and I was like, this is their injuries. I just think it's so interesting. Yeah. Especially when they're like saying that one guy was like beating himself up to stay alive. That's some shit I would do. Mm-hmm. If I'm ever sleepy and I'm trying to drive, I literally make sure I have an ice cold drink next to me that I stick my hand in. Make sure until like I can't hold my hand in it anymore and I put it in like a sensitive area of my body where I'm like, wow, ah. that is intense. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> I haven't done that in a hot minute. Yeah. I did that. After a Paramore concert. Oh my god. I drove all the way to El Paso. <laughs> it was great. Anyways, find us on Instagram <laughs> at Who Knew Podcast. Uh, email us with your theories that are accurate at Who Knew. <laughs> with your theories that are accurate. <laughs> no, evidence based. Yes. <laughs> evidence based, better than the slab avalanche at Who Knew Podcast 666 at gmail.com. Um, review us on Apple Podcasts if you feel so. If not, I guess it really doesn't hurt us, but it doesn't really help us. But, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a big deal. Yep. I would just appreciate it. If you want to, you can support us on Patreon, get your own episodes every month, and, uh, that's all I have. Do we have anything else? No. Cool. I'm good to go. Groovy. Well, uh, say bye, Butters. See you next week, Butters. Bye, people.